ignore that. I'm a member of several uh, Facebook pages that are private, and you can't find them, because they are places where ministers can actually vent or ask questions or uh, share burdens uh, privately. One for ministers um, that I, I really enjoy a lot had a question floated by one of the, the members. Is Satan a real being, or is he just a metaphor for the evil in us, in our hearts, and the world? To my surprise, most respondents called Satan a metaphor. They did not believe he was a real individual, but rather he was just a, a way of saying that evil is out there somehow. To say I was surprised is not quite enough. I was, I was appalled. I was very concerned. You see, Jesus considered Satan and demons to be real entities. He believed that they had voices, intelligences, and, and some supernatural knowledge, but not all supernatural knowledge, that they had some measure of free will as well. In Matthew 4, Jesus and Satan have a series of conversations where Satan is tempting Jesus to not even begin his ministry. One might be able to talk to a metaphor, but a metaphor cannot talk back. And this was a series, like I said, perhaps taking place over days. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus deals with demons that caused a man to lose everything and, his com and the community to fear that man. In Matthew 4, the Satan's able to offer real concrete things in exchange for Jesus's agreement, the course which Jesus did not make. And then in Luke chapter 10, when the evangelist that Jesus sent out returned, they said this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Not a metaphor, a reality. And you've heard me say this before, and you're not done hearing me say it. We're not alone in the universe, and not everything out there likes us. It's interesting Every time I speak about the devil in any detail in a sermon, something like this, this happens. Sound systems break. Somebody gets sick. A water main goes so the important person can't make it to the building. One whole sermon I had on this, I can remember, is one of my favorite memories, even though it's, it was frustrating at the time. I preached a whole sermon, and afterwards people said, oh, we'd like to have a recording of that. That was back in the cassette days. Ask your grandparents. Um, but it was great. Technology you can fix with a pencil. You know, come on, people. Anyway, uh, and we went to get it, and it wasn't recorded. And so they asked if I could do it again, and I said, I'll be preaching that same sermon in two weeks at this other church. I did. Recording failed. It, re it failed three times at three different churches. So eventually, I just got in front of a microphone at, in my office and thought, all right, Lord, uh, one of us is going to succeed and get out of this room. And we did it that way. But this was not something which I went, how in the world? No, we're not alone. When we have a thin place, you need to be aware that the others are looking for an opportunity to ride it and get to us. 
Peter tells us to stay on guard. He said, Satan, like a lion, is, is stalking you. Whenever, if, I've never been to uh, the African veldt or the savannah. I've always wanted to go, but whenever I look at the prices of going, I'm going, and I'm not. Um, I'm not. I can watch them on telly. But I'd, I'd like to go sometime. And if ever you're out there and they say, we got to be careful. There's a lion stalking people in this preserve. I'm going to pay attention. I'm not going to go, really? Cool. What? Let's see. Oh, look at that. That's on Facebook. That's hilarious. That is. No, I'm going to be paying attention. Peter says, watch out. Now, you need to know something about the devil. Satan is not a creator. He cannot make things. What he does is rides in on them and corrupts and destroys them. He did not create marriage, but he knows how to break them. He did not create sexual love, but he knows how to misuse that. And he didn't create the internet, but he knows how to fill it up with the things he has broken. He did not create politics. Well, maybe. Um, Regardless, uh, he, know, he knows how to make us face each other in the streets and yell and scream as if our gods in Washington are greater than our God in heaven. He didn't do any of these things, but he rides in. Think of it like a virus, a computer virus. Those of you who are on Facebook and it'll say, what kind of flower are you? And you think, I must take this test. Stop it. Or if it says, click here to find out the, the six fascinating things you never knew about this show. Stop. What they're doing is gathering information and sending in bots. Twitter this week eliminated 10 million fake accounts. And they say they're just getting started. These are bots. How do they get started? People start clicking. Satan doesn't create, but he rides in. He finds a way in. One way he finds his way in is whispering. He is called the whisperer in Scripture. It's actually a root word. The root word for whisper in the ancient language of the, the Scriptures is snake. Because snakes were named for the sound they make, not only when they hiss, but also as they crawl through leaves or on loose dirt, hissing. Because of viciousness and sneakiness comes in whispers. Look at the part whispering plays in scripture. Just several selections here from Psalms and Proverbs. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. By the way, that's how news stations stay in business. Oh, oh, he's going to announce a Supreme Court judge. Let's talk about it as if we know what's going to happen. Let's fill it up. And you're going, let's start the fear early. Is that what you're saying? A scoundrel plots evil, and on their lips it's like a scorching fire. A perverse person stirs up conflict. Pay attention to this. And a gossip separates close friends. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. Oh, boy. All right, I got to tell you about this one. I was in university, 
and we had a break. It was a boring class, a dead boring class. This was an incredibly boring class. People would have, been, would have, would have considered leaping in front of bus an upgrade. And there, and there was a break. And we all would rush to get to the, the drink machines to get our caffeine and sugar to somehow survive. I was working the machine and somebody bumped me enough to where my head hit the thing. I turned around with a few, I was not a nice person at the time. I turned around with a few choice words and then went, uh-oh. Uh, I wasn't afraid of the guy. I was looking him straight in the knee. I, um, I saw Jesus twice. Um, I, I almost made it through the tube, but he drugged me back. The other guy did. Some, sometimes your lips invite a beating. Watch out. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The lips, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. They find you. They create the doubt. It's all about creating doubt. It's all about creating issues, dividing people. So, oh, did you know what I heard? You know what I heard? As soon as that starts, say, I don't want to hear. I was functioning fine without it. I don't need to hear this. He whispers so that you, that you need to notice something over there. You need to see this fault. Oh, you think they're so perfect. Look at that. You see that? I heard this about that. Did you know that somebody said it's all about the whispering? So it goes. <clears throat> he knows that you can see something. And you can assume the best. Or not. It's a choice. You can choose. I don't quite understand it. <clears throat> but there is this thing. And it's everywhere. It's not just on Facebook and Twitter. It's in people's conversations. Where they'll make fun of Walmart. And the people that go there. Well, not only do I go there. Because of self-checkout lanes. I also work there. Um, and I don't want to. But... They have 82 lanes, but only one of them's open. So last Christmas, they thought about opening a second one, but cooler heads prevailed. Why, why do we make fun of this? And they'll say, people of Walmart pictures. And, like, and people laugh. Why, why is that fun? Why is it interesting to point at others and laugh as if we were better than them? If you don't like shopping there, then that's fine. You've got choices, which is fantastic, by the way. In America, you really do have choices. But why is it necessary to demean those who do what you do not do or who look the way that you don't? We can see beauty if we choose to. Or we can see something else. The devil loves to whisper. I, I, by the way, mad kudos for our teens at communion. The depth of their insights. Wasn't that amazing? And my, I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, it seems like they like your mountains. She's a Rocky Mountain girl, of course, raised there. And she goes, and they are my mountains. I said, yes. I, I have been corrected many times whenever I would talk about the highlands of Scotland. Say, look at those mountains. She'll go, nope, those are hills. <clears throat> she's right, she's right. Anyway, 
you can look at mountains and go, wow, look at the beauty of God. Or you can look at mountains and think, man, there's just no place flat to, and you got to work this way. You can choose what you look at. You can choose. It's really up to you. He whispers, the devil does, when you want to discipline your mind. For example, let's nobody in the room think about cupcakes. Don't do it. This is a cupcake-free zone. Not a one of us are going to think about cupcakes. Cupcakes are off the table. We refuse to think about cupcakes. We will not even name cupcakes. We will not say cupcakes because nobody here will think about cupcakes. What just happened? Well, of course. And you don't even have to like cupcakes. I don't. I, I think that they're trying to limit the amount of icing I'm allowed to have. <laughs> I consider that wrong. If you have no idea how not to think about things, you will fail. You will. Cookies will call to you from the cupboard. You're, you're innocently trying to watch a show. You're just there with your Netflix trying to find something. Netflix recommendations to me shows me that they don't know me at all. It's like we're strangers after all these years. But you finally, you finally find something. You're watching it, and you're trying to pay attention, but the cookies are, are so loud. So you have to eat them to put them out of, 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 the, of your misery is really what it is. What a, what's going on? Well, it's the same reason why your car turns into a donut shop without you even thinking about it. <laughs> and then you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm parked in their lot. It's only polite to go in. You know, I don't want to hurt their feelings and drive away. Jesus has another idea, a replacement. If you toss the devil out, the devil, uh, Jesus said, he's just going to find friends and come back because you left it empty. You have to replace the devil and his whispers with something else. One of the songs that the, the Borders, and, and I always like to say Border family and friends, uh, sang this morning, talked about replacing the, the calamity around us with what God has given us, that idea of, I'm going, to, I'm going to replace that now. I'm going to think about God instead. We can replace what is bad with what is good. We're going to do a series on disciplines here and starting in about a month. But there are spiritual disciplines such as prayer, community, service, hymns, songs, acts of love and kindness, putting those in and meditating on the love of God. And you look at a person and they're really aggravating you. Have you been behind that person in line at Kroger or the like? And it's a, it, uh, even, Kroger's even given up. They don't even say like 10 items or less. I mean, Walmart's even worse. It's 25 items or less or something like that. Kroger now just says about 15 items. They give up. And you're behind somebody in that line with enough provisions to go down the Amazon for two months. <laughs> now you can be back there. <laughs> That will not get you checked out any faster. Instead, make up stories about them in your head. Really, that they're, they're math deficient, uh, that they, they did not have the opportunities you had. And after a while, you might even find a way to like them. Find something about them you like. I like the chutzpah. They got a, it's a Yiddish word. It's very popular in Scotland. Uh, that, no, it isn't. Uh, that, that, I went to school with a bunch of Jews. I learned some Yiddish. Uh, they, have, they have the chutzpah just to get in there. You know, what are you? Don't, you know, try to be a mensch. I know all these things. Anyway, 
there, uh, and, and you're thinking, all right, you know, good for you. You're not letting a little sign push you around. That's good. The AA groups that meet here know all about this. They don't say, we cannot think about alcohol. No. They replace alcohol with a structure, a plan, a community, a book, a buddy who you can call and talk about alcohol. And he can talk to you about it. You're allowed to think about alcohol so you don't have to. It's no longer something which is screaming to get in your head because you're allowed to think about it if you do. But you also have strategies. You've, you've got a community. You've learned how to work this. So, whispers, finding fault, obsessing. All of these things are rooted in one thing. Fear. Isn't it interesting? Whenever the servant comes back from seeing, we're surrounded by the bad guys. The first thing the prophet says is, don't be afraid. But isn't that the most often given command of Jesus Christ is fear not? What do angels say most frequently? Fear not. Why are we afraid? What's, what's, what's the use of fear here? I'm not going to tell you don't be afraid because that's as useful as saying don't think about cupcakes. See, you just got them out of your head and brought them right back in. You, some of you were still thinking about them, but that's all right. That's okay. My fault. Instead, think of this, 1 John chapter 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We're not worried about punishment. We're not worried about failing. We can't fail because we're saved. Now think about that. Every so often, we have a 9 o'clock meeting here on a Sunday morning of the participants in worship. And every so often, we get somebody who's never gotten behind the mic before, and they are very nervous. I have been told by reliable surface, uh, uh, sources that public speaking is the greatest fear mentioned whenever people list their fear. And Jerry Seinfeld even has a whole routine about that because the number two fe uh, fear is death. So we're more afraid of speaking at a funeral than being the guest at the funeral. And he does it a lot better than that. But that whole point, I, I get that. One of the things that I say to them is, no fear. Step up to the mic. Do what you do. And if you botch a word, if you drop your Bible, if you bump into the mic or whatever, it is, you still can't lose. Because this, the people in this room love you. And they're rooting for you. And they will love you after. You cannot lose. What would you do? What would you do in your life if there was no possibility that you could fail? Then why aren't you doing it? It's fear. Fear locks us up. Fear is, is not helpful most of the time. The more we love, the less we fear. We fear fault in ourselves. And so we see it in others. Jesus knew that. So he, he absolutely forbade us from pointing out fault. Look at this out of Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. With the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. We see this in politics all the time. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In case you think that you're good because you got rid of the plank, ask around. Maybe you didn't notice a few more specks in there, or even a half of a lumber yard in there. And we need to help you with this. We won't comment on it, though, because Jesus not only said this, he doubled down on it in John chapter 8 and verse 7. They kept on questioning him, and he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You know Fourth Avenue. We define ourselves by empty hands, open arms. We will not pick up a rock to throw at anybody. We don't care how many rocks they're throwing at us, if they are. It's not like we're being persecuted. But if we were, we're not going to throw the rocks back. Why? Because pointing out fault in others is not what we do. And we are not afraid when they point out fault in us. I've told the story before. But a man called me. He said, you're going to be holding a meeting for us soon. Uh, we need to have lunch. Now, that's never turned out well. Never. You never sit down and they say, and here's a new car. No, no. <laughs> so we sat down and uh, it was right before we started to eat, he said, well, we've received a letter making accusations against you. And I went, okay, who was that from? He goes, well, it was anonymous. So I went, okay. So at least we know they have a spine and guts and all that. Like, yeah, but I'm... So he started to open up the letter, and I put my hand on his hand, which you don't do in America, uh, especially in a public place like this where he could be seen. But I just left it there, and he kind of froze. And I said, I'm going to let you read your, your letter. But no matter what that letter says, it's not as bad as the truth. The truth about me is much worse than anything they could have made up. And he froze. He didn't know what to do then. And I didn't do it so he'd freeze. I did it so he would understand. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to speak. I will not waste time doing this. Instead, know this. I'm a man of sin, and yet I'm utterly, completely saved. Jesus not only saved me, he oversaved me. He spent more for me than I'm worth. I was expecting more amens on that one, but all right, moving, <laughs> moving. Sometimes we fear when others disagree with us. We can exert ourselves in argument, but be careful. Remember those verses in Proverbs about arguing? That's not, not all the verses in there about arguing, is it, Brother Lemons? He, he's done a, a, a whole spreadsheet on this stuff. He knows where those are, and it's full of that. Remember God's angry response to a bunch of experts sitting around the elite, the intelligentsia, who were certain they knew what was happening and why. Look at what God said. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Ooh, I'm going to submit to you that that's not what you want to hear from God. That's probably not in the top oh, 800 things you want to hear from God. When he says, I hear you talking, and all you're doing is clouding the issue and making it worse. You claim to know about my plans. Let me quiz you. Ooh, 
Sometimes we need to back up. Sometimes we need to remember God never, look it up, read the book. God never called us to fix other people. He called us to love them. When some people found that um, we had gone to Iftar to eat with our Muslim friends, and others found that we had even invited them here, and that 61 came, if our account was correct. When then others heard that I ate, and Kami ate with a couple of Baha'is across the street at the Mercantile Deli, they said, all right, what was the sermon? How did you approach that? Did you bring up that Koran thing? Did you? And I looked at him, and I said, no. My job's not to fix them. My job is to love them. And by the way, ask Dave Cassidy and Mark Street how they responded. Those that attended here, when they saw us at Iftar, they ran to us. They could not say enough good about you and about how they saw God here and love here. And one even said, and wisdom lives there. All we did was love them. At a table... I was the, the only Christian, and as they went around, and there was a, quite a lot, and after a while, they looked at me, because I was supposed to be facilitating the discussion, I hadn't said anything, and they said, why aren't you talking? And I said, well, I learned something from a Navajo once. They said that you learn better through the ears than the mouth. I went, just listen. Then they started talking to me some more, and then I finally said, I'll be very straight with you. And I looked at the Muslims at the table. I said, I think you've got some things very wrong. Looked at the Baha'i. I think you've got some things very wrong. I looked over at, we had an atheist at our table. I have no idea what he was doing there. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I think you've got some things very wrong. And it was getting a little tense at the table. And then I said, and I assume I've got some things wrong too. And you think I do, don't you? And they nodded. And I said, so you're not going to leave this table a Christian, are you? They said, no. I said, okay then, why don't we eat and talk to each other? And that's the way it went. I've got emails in my box to answer tomorrow. Some wanting lunch, some wanting to talk more. We don't have to fix them. We have to love them. But there's a tool that the devil uses, and I've got to watch my time here. It's a great tool, and, and psychological tool that we use. Our brain uses it all the time. It's called generalization. Now, what that means is that you can look at one of these folding chairs, and you know that's a chair, even though you've not perhaps seen that exact kind of chair before. You have an understanding of what chair means. And you, have an, you can go outside, and you notice that's a cloud. Even though it's not shaped exactly like the other clouds you've seen, you can identify a cloud. That's very, very helpful in our life. You're able to spot a car uh, and say, that's a car. Well... The devil rides in on this, and he likes to use generalization to divide us. So pretty soon, it is all men are like this. All Democrats are like this. All African-American people are like this. All white people are like that. We could go on all day because the devil does. And he hurls accusations, generalizing and shoving people into groups and things into groups. There's a psychological condition called agoraphobia, where you're afraid of open spaces. And people who are afraid of open spaces begin to avoid certain open spaces. But then that's not enough. And they begin to avoid some more. 
and eventually, if their agoraphobia is untreated, end up in their house unable to leave. It's a very tragic thing. It's a very real thing. And by the way, they can't just buck up and walk out the door. It's a real disease. It's a real issue. That's what fear does. It walls you off from life to where I would not get to know these people. And some of them have become dear friends of mine had fear kept me from going to sit at the table. I would not know God if I allowed fear to run my life. Fear sometimes masquerades as moral superiority. When I was growing up, we were never allowed to go visit another person's church. Ever. That would be wrong. And they were told all the reasons it was wrong. I think the real reason was they were afraid we'd get out there and find a church that was halfway happy. And uh, <laughs> we'd go over the wall. Um, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? We'd just go. Other times, moral superiority keeps us, or, is, creates a fear so we don't help people. Now, this goes out all over uh, the world, really. And many thousands of people listen to this online. So I don't want to give any identification here at all. In Colorado, we had a series of wildfires. It's almost a yearly thing. Uh, it's, it's terrifying. And so one of, and there are a few competing ones, one of the church, um, one of the disaster groups from our, our fellowship, our tribe, came out. We didn't ask. They showed up, which was very nice of them. And they went around to find a church that would support them and help them and, you know, be a base and the like. They came to us to talk to us a little bit. And then they told us we weren't conservative enough to be a base to give out relief. Because they were afraid if they made us their base, their donors would be mad at them. Now think about that. Because I'm afraid my donors might be mad that I'm associating with you, I can't give food and shelter to somebody burned out of a house. You see what fear does? You start with moral superiority. You start with we are the right, and the devil feeds on that and turns it into we cannot help you. By the way, a couple days later they came back to us because all the other churches said we're too busy. And they said, well, we'll help you, but don't talk about it. We said, no, we, well, we will work with you, and we did. The next year we had a fire, they didn't come to us at all. We just went ahead and still used our building as a refugee center, and we fed people and housed people in the building for a long time. We just did it, but you know, fear keeps people from helping each other. Here's a fact, people. When you push people out of your life, you're not hurting them. All you're doing is backing into a cage of your own making to eventually, you can't move. David Lipscomb, who was not a shy individual when it came to pointing out fault in others sometimes, did have a very humble streak in him and was asked a question about when should we draw a line of fellowship against a certain group. And I love the way he responded. He said, be very careful about drawing a line of fellowship. Because more often than you would imagine, you will find yourself on the wrong side of that line. Be very careful. Empty hands. Open arms. 
So, relax. Breathe. God's got you. God's got you. Now, nobody gets off this planet alive, but that's all right. We're the only things handmade by God. Everything else he's spoken to being, he made us out of already existing material and breathes into us a soul and a spirit. The spirit will never die. Live a life so full of love that there's no room for Satan's whispers. You've replaced that in your head with instead, I'm going to find the beauty. I'm going to find the good. I'm going to find a way to work here. Rewrite 1 Corinthians 13. And every time, write it, don't type it. Even if that means you can't read it later, write it. And every time the word says love and charity, put your own name there. You know, Patrick is kind. Patrick is patient. Patrick, put that all in there. And then read it twice every day after you've written it for a month. It takes about 21 days for something to sink in mentally. Read it for about a month. Fill up with this and see how it changes your life. Yes, the others are out there, but we're not afraid. Preached a sermon on the devil once and a man got mad at me. He said, my, my daughter-in-law is, is now terrified. And I said, I didn't teach her to be terrified. And she was terrified because there were flies in her baby's room and she was sure that was the devil. I'm saying, you know, that's, that's, those are insects. No. We don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Would you bring your group back up? Please, thank you. I'll step down and see what happens to the sound now. By the way, you're so fortunate because I was going to have to use a karaoke machine and I had my set list. Um, going to open up a donkey chain and anyway <laughs> I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we do this final admonition all of us are in the garden of eden once you think about that all of us are in the garden of eden every day of our lives we have a choice to make do we eat what we're supposed to eat or do we eat what we're not supposed to eat do we do what we're supposed to do or not do what we're supposed to do. We always are standing in the garden. We have a choice. It's not exactly matrix red pill, blue pill, but it's a choice. Who will you listen to today? Who will own your brain today? Who will decide your responses? Who will you choose to notice? And what will you choose to notice about them? What will you choose to put inside of you so that love comes outside of you it's love or the cage it's joy or fear when the thin place opens and we welcome the spiritual in our lives make sure that we're so full of god that satan and his corruption cannot touch us so that love with god so full of love with god that we have no interest in flirting with his enemy we are sold out. We are bought. We are ready to go with Jesus. We are filled with the Spirit. Live accordingly. Amen, church? Amen. Amen.